Well, I feel like we've been on this um, kind of crazy relationship roller coaster over the last several weeks as we've been looking at the book of Ruth from the Old Testament and we've been looking at the story of Naomi uh, who lost her husband and then both her sons and then tried to move back to Israel from Moab with her two daughter-in-laws and then Orpah went back to her family and, and Ruth said, no, I'm gonna stay with you and commit to you and a great act of self sacrifice and, and then and then this guy named Boaz comes into the story and 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 he's kind of a new main character and last week we talked about how Naomi the mother-in-law tried to get Ruth her daughter-in-law to dress up like a prostitute and go trap Boaz into marrying into the family and providing for them and and over and over in the book of Ruth we see Naomi kind of feeling like she is outside of the story of God's people that um, for whatever reason, she's bitter, she's been rebellious, and um, she's trying to accomplish things in her life her own way. She, she's trying to get to the same kind of ends, um, and, and so she's justifying whatever means she needs to take to get to that place. And she's functioning outside of kind of the will and, and the way of God to bring about these things. And then we're contrasted with this guy named Boaz who seems to be doing all the right things and trusting the story that God is writing. And so it's just been this kind of crazy, messed up relationship story that, that really kind of mirrors the sometimes crazy and messed up relationships that we find our, ourselves in. Uh, today, we'll see how God has been working through this whole story uh, called, called Ruth, but starts out with Naomi, to, to bring this woman who felt like she was outside of the story of God, to bring her back into the story that he's writing. Because as we'll see today, he is much more interested in our heart than our history or our hangups or our heritage. So let's just jump in to Ruth chapter four. We'll start out with the first couple verses. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And then Boaz took 10 men of the elders of the city and he said, sit down here. And so they sat down. That's a weird kind of way to, to start out, but I think that maybe we need to take a moment out to talk about this idea uh, of the kinsman redeemer that Boaz is or is about to be, um, but we see it throughout, all throughout scripture because it's an integral part of Israel's history. So in order to understand what it is, we have to go um, kind of back to the beginning of Israel as a nation. They had been slaves in Egypt for 250 years. God rescues them very powerfully and very mightily out of the land of Egypt. And he brings them or he's trying to bring them into the promised land. And while they're at the mountain called Sinai, where God gives Moses the law and he enters into really a, a marriage covenant with the people of Israel, he gives them a set of uh, laws and rules. Now we're probably most familiar with the 10 commandments, but there's really about 613 laws uh, or rules that God gives the people. And when you look at uh, the story, what you see is that, that really this is a marriage relationship. And God is saying, if you are going to be my bride as a nation of people, here's what you can expect from me. 
and here's what I expect from you. And so that's really what's happening at, at, at Mount Sinai. And so in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23, God tells the people, the land that you're going to inherit when you move into the promised land, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. And so if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then the nearest redeemer, that's where the word kinsman redeemer comes from, shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So, so here's what's going on. God is um, building into this society that he's creating kind of from scratch here, an interconnectedness between the people, a way for them to never again know what it's like to be homeless or, or really to, to be like they were in Egypt, to be slaves in, in Egypt to someone else. And so, um, if you became poor, God said, look, the land doesn't belong to you, it belongs to me. And you are sojourners, you're foreigners, you're travelers through this land and, and through this life with me. God was kind of saying, I'm the one that's gonna be your foundation regardless of where you are. And so he wanted the people to, to feel this, to be able to rest in these promises that he had given them. And so he set this kinsman redeemer idea up. If you become so poor that you have to sell some of your property, then somebody else should come in and redeem that, should buy it back from whoever you sell it to and, and let you move back onto the property. It was a crazy idea um, even for them at, at the time. Boaz then in the story of Ruth was a redeemer for Naomi. He was a near relative, but he was not the nearest. So uh, in the line uh, of their family line, there was somebody closer to Naomi and, and really not to Naomi, but to uh, Elimelech, her, her husband. And so Naomi would have known this. She knew the family. She would have known this when they came back to Israel from, um, from Moab. Um, and, and what we see then in chapter three is, uh, is Naomi trying to manipulate the system so that she can uh, kind of skirt this close relative and get Boaz to um, marry, marry Ruth. And, and so she wasn't trusting the story that God was writing in her life. Boaz, on the other hand, he absolutely was trusting that story. And so Boaz comes to the conclusion that Ruth, even though she's a Moabitess, she acts more like a daughter of Israel than many of the Israelite, the Hebrew people that he knew around. And so he decides, God would want me to protect for her and provide for her. And so he shows up in, in chapter four, he shows up to the elders of the city, prepared not only to redeem Naomi, to buy back the property of her husband, to buy back that, that land if he's given the chance, but I think he shows up that day to marry Ruth right then and there. I think that's why we're told that he specifically gets not just the nearest kinsman redeemer, but he gets 10 of these other elders that are around to come and sit in these positions of, like he's starting court, he's setting up a court, a legal proceeding of people who are gonna be able to witness this exchange between him and that nearest kinsman redeemer. So let's go on to verse three. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, 
who has come back from the country of Moab is selling the parcel, parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. So he's kind of setting the stage here. He's like, look, Naomi's back. There's this piece of property I brought you in front of all of these witnesses here. And we're gonna make this right. We're gonna kind of settle this. Um, and remember, we talked last week, Boaz wants to marry Ruth. Like, he, like he's longing for this. He wants this to happen. And so uh, he lays the, the groundwork here. He says, uh, if you're gonna redeem it, redeem it, but you're first and I'm, I'm next. And then the nearest kinsman redeemer says, I will redeem it. Maybe you've been in that situation before. Boaz thought he had everything worked out. He, he, he thought his story and God's story were just in lockstep. Everything was going great. It was all falling into place. And then this guy steps in and goes, no, I think I'll, I'll redeem it. I'll pay for the land. I'll take Naomi uh, to, to be my wife. I'll be the, the hero in the story. I'll buy back the property. I'll continue um, the name. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, I've been in those situations before. Probably you have too. When everything is just rolling along, uh, just like you plan, just like you want, just like you hope. And, and hopefully it, what you plan and what God plan are kind of right in, in, in step and lining up perfectly and, and life is just really good. And then all of a sudden it's like, bam, like there's a wrench thrown in, like something goes wrong. And there's this like moment of, of panic, right? Where you think like everything that I thought was gonna happen, everything we were working towards is just is falling apart and, and we don't know what to do. And, and in these situations, when we get in there, our tendency is to, is to panic instead of persevere. Right, we, 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 like, we like freak out, what can I, what can I do? And we work ourselves into a frenzy instead of, instead of standing firm in our faith. <coughs> I've been sick all week. I'm surprised I'm doing this well, okay. When, we, when, when what we want in, in life, when we feel like that's gonna fall apart, it's, it's hard not to give in to fear. And we go, but God, I, I, I thought that this job promotion was gonna fix all my financial issues or gonna fix my family or what I, I, I thought this uh, next thing, I thought this house was gonna be the one and, and, and we'd hoped for it and we thought it was the one that you were gonna, gonna bring. God, I, I thought this was gonna be the thing that, that, that was gonna set us apart and gonna be great for us. And, and, and we have these moments when what we want just seems like it's gonna slip out of our out of our fingers, it's gonna slip out of our, our hands. And, and so I think what we learn here in, in Boaz is this, don't let your panic keep you from the promise. Don't let your panic keep you from the promise. Because I think the reason things seem like they're gonna fall apart sometimes is because God is going, are, are you trusting me or are you trusting this thing that, that you wanted? Is, is your hope and your faith in me or, or was it really just in, in this? Because if our hope and our faith is in God, this other stuff doesn't matter because God can bring the dead back to life. Like God's not limited by anything. But too often we're, our, our hope is not really in God. It's in this promotion, this house, this whatever, 
this relationship, and we think it's gonna solve all of our problems. And so we begin to have these moments of, of panic. We, we need to be reminded that, that in the story, God never promises Boaz that he will marry Ruth. He never promises Ruth that she will marry Boaz. That's not what this is, this is about. But he does promise, God does promise to protect Ruth. He does promise to provide for people when they follow him. Seek first his kingdom, my kingdom, he says. And, and then all of these other things are gonna be given. And, and, and so Go, Boaz has been following God. He's been obeying God when it feels like the whole nation, in, including Naomi, is opposing God. R remember chapter one, verse one says, during the time of the judges, and, and what do we say was marking the judges as far as the nation of Israel? It was rebellion and sin and opposition. Like as a nation, the people of Israel were opposing God at every opportunity. And here Boaz is just trying to do the right thing in the, in the right moment. And so Boaz becomes this picture of faith. He doesn't give in to fear, but he also doesn't give up. Look at what happens in verse five. Then Boaz says to this nearest kinsman redeemer, right, who's just about to, to blow Boaz's plans out of the water. He says, by the way, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also are going to acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his, uh, in his inheritance. Then the redeemer says, whoa. <laughs> He's okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's like, okay, I, I, I'm out. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, Boaz is an honest man. He's a, he's a humble man. That's the story, the picture that we, that we get in, in the story of Ruth. But he's not a stupid man. He doesn't give in to panic in this situation. He has come prepared for whatever might happen. And so he reminds this kind of new would-be hero in the story that when he redeems the land, he doesn't just get Naomi. And, and you notice in the story, when he first says, look, you, it's your right to redeem Naomi and her property. And the guy's like, fine with it. He's like, yeah, absolutely, I'll do it. Like, it's like, I'm in, this sounds good to me. And so Boaz reminds him that when he redeems Naomi's property, he doesn't just get her, he also gets the Moabite, Ruth. And all throughout this story, we've been talking about how uh, the Moabites were in relation to the Israelites. Remember, like the, the Moabites, um, you, gotta go, you gotta go way back to when Israel was wandering in the, in the desert in that 40 years before they came into the promised land. And all the nations around were like freaked out about it. And, and Moab in particular got together with a couple other nations and they hired a witch doctor and they hired him to come and curse Israel. And, and what they really were trying to do, it wasn't just about cursing Israel. What they were trying to do was offer better sacrifices to the God of Israel so that Israel's God would turn his back on his people and bless Moab. So they were trying to manipulate the God of Israel like they would their own false gods. And God was like, I, I don't play that way. 
That's not how I do things. I'm committed to this people and, and I'm not gonna be fickle. I'm not gonna just run after you because you give me a better sacrifice. That's not the way this works. And so when Israel came into the promised land, God told them, do not seek the peace or the prosperity of Moab because of how they treated you when you were in the desert. And then and there's another law that says, don't marry outside of the nation of, of Israel because there's another story where the Moabite women come in and, and they manipulate the men of Israel into following and worshiping their other gods through a whole bunch of sexual immorality. So there's lots of stuff going on here in the history of the relationship between Moab and Israel. And so Boaz says, hey, look, you are not gonna be able to, to buy the property, to take Naomi in and care for her without caring also for this Moabite Ruth. I, I think this kinsman, this nearest kinsman redeemer, I think his plan was to buy the property, to bring Naomi into his house, and then to kick Ruth out. And to say, I'm gonna have, you're, you're a Moabite, I'm gonna have, not have anything to do. Like, if I bring you into my house, my status in society is gonna drop. Uh, maybe he was a businessman and he was afraid that his business might suffer if he brought this woman in because she was uh, a, a Moabite, because of her heritage there. And Boaz just steps up and he reminds her, uh, reminds him that Ruth is the part of the family. And whether he likes it or not, he has an obligation to protect her. I think that's why the story uh, comes about like it, like it does. I think he was gonna ditch Ruth and then Boaz says in front of these elders, he says, no, that's not the case. If you take Naomi, if you redeem her land, you must take Ruth as well. And so this new redeemer, he's gotta make uh, a decision. He's gotta make a decision. Does he protect what he has or does he trust the promise? Does he protect the, the land, the estate, the business reputation that he has, or does he trust the promise of, of God? And I think in that moment, he weighs the options and he figures that it was better to protect what he had than risk it on this promise of God, this promise that if he was be willing to provide and protect for those less fortunate, that God would show up and provide and protect him. We struggle with the same things today, I think. Do we, do we give to God financially, trusting that, that he will provide for our finances or, or do we protect what we have? Because I don't know if I'm gonna have enough. I don't know if it's gonna reach the end of the month. I, I don't know if when I retire, I'm gonna have enough in re retirement. And so I have to protect what I have instead of trusting this promise that when we give, it will be given to us. Do we trust the story that God is writing for us, even when we don't understand it? Or, or are we gonna protect our own story? We're gonna go, God, I, I, I know you wanna go this way, but I'm just uncertain of that. And I'm gonna protect what I have and write my own story. Do, do we try to manipulate situations in our life so that we come out on top? Or do we act like Jesus? And are we willing to let others um, take that top position and to serve others, knowing that, that God said he's gonna watch out and, and he's gonna make sure that, that we get what's coming to us and that others get what, like this is what vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's part of forgiveness. 
Are we trusting God in the story that he's writing or, or are we saying, no, God, I, I have to protect what I have. I gotta protect my position. I gotta protect my relationship. I gotta protect my finances. And so I'm gonna write my own story. You know, you know this, um, this part of the story between Boaz and this nearest kinsman redeemer, it reminds me another story of the Bible where, where someone else re rejected his position, his right, um, and, and it ends up not going very well for him. In Genesis chapter 25, as we go back in, in history again to the, to the beginning, we have this story of these two brothers, Jacob and, and Esau, or rather Esau and, and Jacob. So it goes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the story of, of God's people. And it's this Jacob that we're talking about. And he has an older brother named Esau. And Esau one day is out hunting and he's been out all day uh, hunting wild game and he comes back home and um, he's, just, he's just exhausted. He's tired and he's hungry. And he comes into the camp and his brother Jacob has been home and he's made some stew. And apparently it's really, really good. Like it smells good. It's really good. I don't know, it's grandma's recipe. Uh, and Esau comes back in and he smells this stew and he says, man, I'm exhausted. I think I'm gonna die. Give me some stew. And he buys a bowl of soup from his brother for the cost of his birthright. Now we don't really understand that in our society, in our culture, because we don't really have birthrights. We don't really understand that. But, but back in that culture in, in the Middle East, the firstborn had an obligation and a responsibility to take over the care of what's called the Bedov. It's the family line, it's the family house that probably could involve uh, nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles and cousins or whatever. And the firstborn son in the line was supposed to take over for the patriarch. And this is where Esau was. His birthright meant that he was gonna take over for his father, Jacob, and he was gonna run the house. He was gonna be at the, at the top of this pyramid. All of these people would be counting on him. And Esau basically comes back in, uh, to, to, comes back home, and he says, I don't care about that. Like, we don't really get it in our culture, but this was a huge thing. For Esau not to care that he was next in line, to, to take over not just the family business, but the family as a whole, to lead them and guide them and follow the story God was writing. For him to say, I don't care about that and I'm willing to give that up for a bowl of soup. It, it, the, the Bible talks about it as though Esau um, resented that position. He rejected it. It was his to have and, and he said, no, I'm not gonna do it. I don't want the responsibility. This um, guy, well, I guess I should finish that story. What happens is uh, Jacob, the younger brother, ends up taking that position. He becomes the behor, the firstborn, the patriarch in this Badoff, this family unit. And out of him comes the nation of Israel because Jacob's name is eventually changed to Israel. He becomes the father of, of the nation. What was Esau's right has then been given to Jacob for a bowl of soup. It's, it's crazy.
And I see this parallel here in this story between Boaz and this nearest redeemer. It's like you have this incredible opportunity. We're going to see what's going to play out in the rest of the chapter. And you're rejecting it because you want to protect this little bit that you have. There's this greater promise that God has for you. And, and, and you're, you're ditching that for, to keep the little bit that you have. It's, it's crazy. When we try to protect what we have instead of trusting the promise of God, we can end up losing much, much more than we, than we keep. Here's what happens in the next section of Scripture. Then all the people who are at, at the gate. So um, this guy says, okay, I'm out. I'm, I'm not going to be the, the redeemer. He tells Boaz, you go ahead and, and, and do it. And Boaz says, okay. I'm going to do it. Let everybody know I'm buying the property. I'm taking Naomi and Ruth is going to be my wife. Here's what happens in verse 11. All the people who are at the gate and the elders, those 10 guys that Boaz had to sit down when he, when he brought court together, they say, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. This is their hometown and their clan. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, it's really interesting here um, for a couple reasons uh, that they mention Rachel and Leah, because Rachel and Leah are the wives of Jacob. They, along with their handmaids, um, bear to him the 12 tribes of of Israel. And so their names are brought back. So why I, I think it reminds me of the story of Esau and, and Jacob and that, and that birthright. But then they mentioned this guy named Perez who Tamar bore to Judah. And I mentioned this last week. There's a whole lot more going on than we have the time to, to get into um, right now. But you can go back to Genesis and, and read about it. But, but there's this moment um, because of some things that had happened in their life that, that Tamar, um, Judah's daughter-in-law, who her husband has died, she dresses up like a prostitute, like Naomi was trying to get Ruth to do. She gets pregnant by her father-in-law after her husband, his son, um, dies, and they name the child Perez. Now, Perez becomes the head of the clan of Judah, of which Boaz and Naomi were a part and Ruth is now marrying into. And it becomes the largest tribe in the nation of Israel. It becomes the largest tribe by like a lot. In, in fact, um, at the end of, of, of this story, after David becomes king and then his sons begin to come, become king after him, the nation of Israel falls apart and the northern tribes uh, separate from the southern tribes. And the northern tribe is called Israel, and the southern tribe is called Judah. And in the southern tribe, it's made up of the tribe of, of Judah, which we're talking about, and Benjamin. But there were so few people in Benjamin that nobody cared about it. Judah was such a large tribe at the time that they became a nation just themselves. And the, and the other 10 tribes, the sons of Jacob, become another nation that they were about the same size. Like that's how big um, Judah is, it's, it's, it's huge. And, and so the elders at the town gate, they were not saying that Tamar and Judah did the right thing, that they weren't, they weren't endorsing what they had done. They were simply saying, 
Nobody thought that was a good idea or that that was going to turn out well, but it did. Like God used it in an incredible way. And I'm sure that as they were sitting there and as Boaz said, look, I'm going to bring Ruth in and she's going to be my wife. They were all thinking this is not a wise decision, marrying this Moabite woman that, that God had kind of said not to do. But, but then they were like, well, it, it worked out for Tamar and, and Judah. So look at what happens next. Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in, in Israel. And what Naomi tried to accomplish um, on her own by writing her own story, by cheating Boaz and, and Ruth, God brings about because Boaz does end up marrying Ruth, they have this child, and both Ruth and Naomi are protected and provided for by Boaz and his family. Now, remember Naomi in chapter one, she started off trying to change her name from Naomi to Mara. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. And the word Mara has two meanings. It means bitter, but it also means rebellious. And now the women of the city are coming together and, and Naomi's life has kind of been restored. It literally has been redeemed in a whole lot of different ways. And they're saying, look, there's no reason for you to be bitter anymore. There's no reason for you to be rebellious anymore. Now you are just blessed. And this son is born to Boaz and to Ruth and his name is Obed. And, and so look at the rest of the, the story of Naomi and how it ends. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Those are the two names we've been talking about. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now, Boaz did the right thing, even though it may have seemed to others to, to be the wrong thing because he recognized that Ruth was a person of character, even though she was not an Israelite. And Boaz trusted the story that God was writing. And when it seemed like everything was about to fall apart and, and was, gonna, was gonna just go away, Boaz didn't panic. He trusted the promises God had made. And in the end, his name is listed in the family line, not only of Tamar and, and, and Judah, this story of questionable morality at best. But the end of that family line is King David, who's the second king of Israel, whose family line, from whose family line would come the promised Messiah, Jesus. This is a huge moment in a long history that has some really not great things in it, but out of it, God writes a beautiful story. Here's the deal. Boaz could not have known that God would use this Moabite woman to continue the line of, of David. They had no idea that at the end of this story, God brings a king. And the people of Israel, the elders that were there, they would never have expected that a Moabitess could, could play such an integral part of the story that God was writing. But we learned something infinitely important about who God is 
in this story. See, God is way more interested in your heart than your heritage. He's way more interested in your heart than your heritage. He doesn't care where you came from. He cares where you're, where you're going. He's way more concerned with your heart than your hangups. And we've got them, right? When there are things that we struggle with, I'm not gonna do that anymore. And we fall back into it and we, and, and, and we do it. And, and God's like, yeah, that, that's like, it would be better for you if you didn't keep falling into those things. But I don't love you because of your hangups. And I don't reject you because of your hangups. I'm looking at your heart. God is way more focused on your heart than he is your history. And, and we carry our history around, don't we? We drag it behind us. We go, I could never accomplish anything. I could never be the person God wants me to be because I've got too much junk in, in my past. There's too much history. I've got too many hangups. I've got too many faults. I've got too many problems. Look at the family line that I, I come from. Look at my parents or my grandparents, and the things that they handed down to me. And there's all these struggles and all this relationship stuff and all this junk, and I just can't seem to get it right. And God goes, yeah, but I don't care about your heritage and I don't care about your hangups and I don't care about your history. I care about your heart. Where's your heart? When we trust the story God is writing, even after we blow it, he will always, always, always redeem us and bring us back into the story. And, and so if you're looking for a, a spouse, uh, do what Boaz and, and Ruth did. We've talked about it in the last few weeks. Look for character over charisma. Look for character. Like, man, she can look good. He can look good. Got a good job. Got good whatever. But Boaz and Ruth focused on the character of each other. Who were they before they committed? If you feel like your history, your hangups, or your heritage keep you out of God's story, just remember that he's way more interested in your heart. He's way more interested in what he can do with you as you trust him and as you walk in his, his way, as you trust the story that he's writing than what you've done in your past. And if you trust the story that God is writing, don't let the present distract you from the promises that he's made. He has a plan for you and for your life. He has a purpose for you. And you may not see it in your lifetime, but generations after you, because you're faithful, because you trust the story, because you picked a person of character, God can do some pretty amazing things through you. What we learn in the story of, of Ruth is, is that like, everything doesn't have to be perfect in your past. It's what you're doing right now. It's whether or not you're trusting him, you're following him, you're letting him write the story. Because when you do that, everything might not work out perfect, but you're gonna grab a hold of the promises that he's made and your future's gonna be brighter. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the story of Ruth because it, because it's not a perfect story. Man, there's some crazy stuff going on here. There's the crazy stuff that could only be matched by the crazy stuff that's going on in our own lives. And yet we see in this story, this incredible plan of redemption, not just the kinsman redeemer story that's played out in, in Israel, 
but the redemption of who we are as people, the redemption of humanity through your son, Jesus. So Father, I, I pray for those right now today who are struggling with their, with their hangups or their heritage or their history. And there's things that they haven't been able to see past yet in order to see you and to grab a hold of the promises that you've made. But I pray today that you would clear those clouds out of the way, that you'd let them release the garbage that they've been carrying and just focus on the present. Focus on the promises that you've made to them. And then God, just make the next right decision as they follow the story you're writing. Thank you, God, for love and relationships, even though they're difficult and they struggle. We thank you for them because through our interconnectedness, you write just an amazing story that we could never imagine the end of it. Uh, God, help us to trust that. Thank you for this day and the ability to come and to worship you and to be together and the encouragement that we have as a family as we see one another. Would you bring more and more into your kingdom through the work that you're doing here? And, and, and Father, would we be interconnected? Would we trust your promises and will we see them fulfilled? In Jesus' name, amen.